Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. I met today's guest through a fellow friend. One night I was telling someone what I was doing and she said, have I got a woman that you've got to meet? She has a new book coming out and I think you two would get along. We had one quick conversation and we definitely got along and I can't wait to introduce you uh, to her. Her name is Elizabeth Willard Thames. I call her Liz and she's better known as Mrs. Frugalwoods. She's the creator of an award-winning personal financial blog, frugalwoods.com. Her story is really fascinating. Uh, Liz, at age 32, reached financial independence and left a successful career in the city to create a more meaningful and purpose-driven life on a 66-acre homestead in the woods of Vermont with her husband and their two young daughters. She's the author of a new book called Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living that was published by HarperCollins just in March. Prior to that, uh, she followed her calling as a writer and homesteader. Uh, she worked for 10 years in a nonprofit sector as a fundraiser and communication manager. Liz has received her BA from the University of Kansas and a master's degree from American University. You can follow her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please welcome Liz Thames to the program. Thank you so much for having me. You know, the last time we spoke, you were about to have a baby, and I believe you had that baby. Yes, I have. She's now six weeks old and joins her big sister, who is almost two and a half. So we have a pretty busy household these days. I can imagine. Um, and you also, in the midst of all of this, uh, released a new book. Um, so tell us a little bit about that book, and then we'll get into your myth. Sure. So the book is Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living. And the book was born out of the blog, uh, Frugal Woods, that I've been writing for about four years now. And it talks about the journey that my husband and I took to achieve financial independence and the mistakes we made, the lessons we learned along the way, and the ways in which we embraced different elements of financial management in order to really bring our money into alignment with how we want to use our time. I love that because it fits. It really fits with the myths that we're going to be busting wide open today that you brought to our podcast, which is frugality equals deprivation. And I have to tell you, when I first learned about your work and looked at, ooh, frugal, frugal woods, I have to say that was my automatic thought. Like, I don't want to be frugal. I grew up <laughs> 
50 Yankee and always had to go to Filene's basement. And so I certainly, I think, can learn today from busting this myth wide open. But before we get into how that may not be uh, the best way of looking at frugality, tell us a little bit about why you picked that myth to bust open today. Sure. So I think just like you alluded to, frugal gets a bad rap. You know, it has this very negative connotation and there are no corporations or ad campaigns promoting frugality, right? It's not something that we see in the mainstream media as a good thing. And yet what I found is that frugality has brought me so much happiness and so much joy in my life, which is really a counterintuitive thing for many people. But I've discovered that there are so many benefits to a frugal life that far outstrip just saving money. You know, saving money is the entry point for why a lot of people embrace frugality. But then I've found that it is an environmentally friendly way to live, a sustainable way to live, um, a lifestyle that really focuses on spending time with the people that matter the most to you. And it allows you to let go of a lot of things that are ultimately unimportant to your long-term happiness and your long-term goals in life. So let's start with you defining frugality. Sure. So for my husband and I, we are very fortunate because our frugality is elective. We're able to choose to be frugal. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think of frugality as deprivation, because for me, it's a point of gratitude. The fact that I'm able to choose to save money every month, I think is a great privilege. For many people, they don't have that option. They don't have that privilege of being able to choose to save money. And so if you do have an opportunity to save, I really see it as a point of of abundance that, oh, this is so great. I'm able to take control of my money in this really concrete way of saving more. And the other end of the equation, of course, is earning more money. And that's something that um, is a wonderful thing to focus on as well. But what I love about frugality is that you can start it today. Right now, you can choose to spend less. And I think there's something very empowering about that, that you can begin to track your expenses and begin to get a grasp on where you might find find greater savings. And it's something that is within your power. So before we get into the tips and tools of how someone can start to live a more frugal life, let's take a minute to look at the connection with being deprived or uh, being cheap is the word that comes to my mind uh, based on my family money messages. Um, you know, where did that connection start and, and why is that not the case? Why is this a myth and not reality? Sure. So I think that joyful frugality, which is what I practice, is a question of spending money on what matters most to you. So it's not a question of eliminating every single expense and living sort of a deprived or miserly existence, but it's a question of looking at every dollar you spend and asking yourself, is this something that brings me lasting happiness? Am I getting a really good return on this investment? Or is it an expense that ultimately I forget about and doesn't really bring much meaning to my life and is essentially wasted money? And so when you're living that really tuned in joyful frugality, you know that every dollar you spend is going towards something that's important to you. And so I could certainly save more money if I didn't spend on some of these things that I prioritize and that I value. And so it's, for me, it's a question of values-based spending and 
focusing on the long term. So knowing where do you want to be in 10 years, in 20 years? What are the things that you want to do with your life? And how can you get your money to come into alignment with those goals? So the value-based part makes perfect sense. Um, I know you have a background where you used to be in uh, community fundraising or in fundraising. And so how did you, and I know the book tells us more of the story, uh, I want people to check that out, but how did you get to this place in your life, Liz, where you thought, I really want to pare down and think about everything that I spend and make sure I'm looking for the long term? Like, can you give us, you know, a couple of key points as to how you got from point A to point B for the people who are listening, thinking, oh, I don't know if I could do this. Yes. So for me, it was a question of realizing that spending money did not make me happy. I think many of us see spending money as a way to treat ourselves. It's an opportunity to buy something new or go out to a restaurant or sort of enjoy in the moment. But I realized that overall, this type of spending was not delivering a contented or a fulfilled lifestyle for me. And so I thought, okay, if I'm able to save at a higher rate, and if I'm able to start putting this money towards bigger goals, towards a more long-term vision, how can I create a life that I enjoy living every single day? And how can I pursue things that I'm passionate about? And one of the things that I'm passionate about is financial literacy and is talking about how to manage your money. And so that was really the root of starting Frugal Woods and going down this path of talking with people about how to manage your money in a more effective way. It's so interesting that you, you've had this journey because to get back to the myth, you know, so many people do equate it with uh, frugality with uh, deprivation or being deprived or scarcity. And so before we get into how this myth doesn't serve us, um, let's talk a little bit about, is there any upside to people thinking that if you want to be frugal, you got to deprive yourself? Like sometimes a myth has a little kernel of truth in it. I agree. And I think part of that is the idea of delayed gratification. I think in our culture, I certainly was very guilty of this. It's really tempting to buy all those in the moment things. And when we don't buy that latte or that new pair of shoes, or even as simple as buying prepackaged foods at the grocery store, we see ourselves as deprived because I think we acclimate ourselves to whatever level of comfort and luxury we've become accustomed to. So there's this theory of hedonic adaptation that the bigger and the better that our treats or our luxuries are, the more that we'll require the next time. So for example, if you go out to dinner once a week, wouldn't it be nice to go out to dinner twice a week? And then what if you went out to dinner every night of the week? Wouldn't that be even better? And so it's this idea of kind of ramping up what you expect. And so then when you begin to downgrade that, I think there is a feeling of deprivation. But again, it kind of comes back to when are you actually happiest and most fulfilled? And what do you see your money doing for you over the long term? And can you recognize the power of compounding interest and the power that your money can have if it's saved and if it's invested over a long period of time? And so I found that by sort of minimizing and reducing some of these luxuries, they actually become much more special to me. So when I do go out to dinner, it's really exciting. It's a really great treat. It's not sort of a rote chore that I do every single night. And so it is a question of deciding that you have enough in your life, that you own enough, uh, that you don't need more, and that you are happy, in essence, with less. 
What's interesting about that is this morning I actually was looking at my grocery list and I was looking at the groceries I had to buy. And I actually said this to my husband. I said, well, you eat home a lot. Boy, you have to buy a lot of groceries. Now, I know that you are a good cook and you do a lot of farm to table um, stuff that I have not uh, even ventured uh, to go towards other than belonging to my local CSA. Um, but it is interesting because in the past, we certainly would have gone out to dinner a lot more than we do now. And you're right. It makes it more special when you go less. Um, but the other thing that I'm thinking about is suppose there's somebody who's listening now who has the money personality where they really enjoy spending money. And, and unlike you, Liz, or unlike me, it brings them a lot of joy. Um, is this a lifestyle for that type of money personality too? Well, I am very cognizant that everyone has different goals. And I think it's important that you're spending in alignment with those goals. And it's also important that you are financially stable. So not everyone wants to reach financial independence or, or have sort of that level of financial security, but you do want to make sure that you don't have debt, especially high interest debt. You want to make sure that you have an emergency fund and you want to make sure that you are saving for retirement. And then if you have children that you are taking into consideration how you might help them with higher education or other costs like that. So I think there's kind of a baseline of financial stability that you really want to reach before you enjoy these sort of treats all the time. And then I think once you're in a really stable financial position, you can make that decision. Okay, how do I want to deploy my capital? What am I comfortable with doing? And do I understand sort of what I might be giving up in the future by spending in the near term? There's nothing wrong with spending money. You know, it's not sort of an inherently bad thing to spend money. Um, I think where we get into danger is when we are spending in a way that does not match um, our financial reality. So for example, if we're spending and going deeper into consumer debt, or if we're having trouble paying our bills, things like that, you really want to take a step back and, and make sure that you've created a baseline set of financial, financially stable principles for yourself. So would it be right to say that maybe frugality equals being financially fit? Absolutely. For me, it's freedom, it's liberation, you know, to not have to worry about money, to know that I have control over my money, that I'm able to save more um, if I need to. I think that's really kind of the ultimate liberation and stress reducer that you can give yourself. So if somebody's listening to the podcast today and thinking, oh, I might want to give that a try, that sounds a little bit different than what Kathleen's automatic thought is that frugality means I'm cheap. <laughs> uh, what tips would you offer the listeners to kind of start on this path? Sure. So I actually offer a free 31-day Uber Frugal Month Challenge on Frugal Woods that addresses this very question because it's a question I got a lot. And so I put together a challenge and it tracks the steps that my husband and I took. And it takes you through a month of frugality and it essentially will show you how much you could save every month if you were extremely frugal. So it gives you kind of your baseline uh, that you could get by on each month. And then it encourages you to calculate that out. See how much you would save in a year, in two years, how much you would have if you invested that money. And it's also a question of examining your mindset and your philosophy on life and what you're happy with, because it really comes down to that. I think the money side of it is one piece. You know, that's kind of the math and the spreadsheet. But the bigger question is, what's your worldview? 
how are you feeling that you're fitting into this world? And is consumption an important part of that ethos for you? And what are some ways that you can spend less, but still really enjoy your life and feel that you're living, um, you know, a very valuable existence? Because it really does, I think, come down to those, those bigger questions. And the first step, if somebody wants a very concrete thing to start doing right now, I think the first step is to track your expenses. So know exactly what you're spending every single month. And don't guess. You cannot guess on this because I'm never right when I try and guess. So I really love uh, free online software that does this for you. Personal Capital and Mint, those are two free services that I think work well. You can also write it down or put it in a spreadsheet, but really know where your money is going. And from there, you can start to calibrate a plan for it. I love that. So tell me, Liz, how did you get your husband on board or is he the one who started this? Because often with couples, they don't agree about money and you're on this journey together as a couple and as a family. Yes. Well, I would say it's an ongoing conversation. You know, I don't think money is something you can talk about with your partner once and then sort of put it on the shelf and never come back to it again. I think uh, a lot of your listeners probably know that disagreement over money is one of the leading causes of divorce in the country. And I think we can see why, because how you lose your money is how your life is going to go. It's really going to dictate a lot of things about how you live. And so if you and your partner are not on the same page, that can create um, deep friction and deep tension. So I think talking about it often, talking about it openly and respectfully and finding common ground in what you want. Again, it comes back to those long-term goals, what you want as a family and as a couple. And my husband and I have both always been pretty frugal. We've sort of had that frugal mindset. So I think in some ways that was easier for us. We weren't coming from wildly different uh, financial viewpoints. And so I think it was easier in some ways for us to get into alignment. But we've certainly had uh, places where we diverged over the years. And it's really for us just a question of talking it through and being very respectful and thoughtful about why the other person wants to spend or invest in a certain way. And just having that mutual respect that you would bring to any other part of your relationship, just applying that to your money as well. And I think that it's very important that both people in a partnership know what's happening with the money. So one person might sort of be the money manager, but it's important that you both are aware of what's coming in, what's going out, how it's being invested or saved. And then on a practical level, knowing where all the money is. So knowing what all your accounts are, what the login and access information is, because you really want to both be enfranchised to feel like you can make decisions and contribute. Yes. And I think breaking money silence as a couple is something that's really important. And I love the um, idea that sometimes we forget is that money is an ongoing conversation. It isn't like, um, like if you're raising kids, it isn't like, you know, right before the child's born, you have one conversation and that's it about parenting. It's right. <laughs> no, it's a daily, hourly, minute by minute, you know, your two-year-old throws something on the floor and you quickly look at each other and you mouth, okay, how do we respond to this? Because, you know, you want to be in alignment and it's very much the same thing with your money. Yeah. And so having uh, recently had a child and having another young person in the house, um, have you thought at all about how you're going to communicate um, the lessons that you've learned through frugality to the next generation in your in your family? 
Oh, yes. I'm so excited for this. So our, our two and a half year old already knows what money is. So we talk about that concept. And I asked her the other day, what would you buy with money? And she said, pickles and a car. I said, okay, all right. So you're, you're understanding, you know, we, this is how the, the economy works. Um, for me, it's going to be important to teach them about money all along. So just as we are teaching our daughter the ABCs right now, we're also teaching her what money is, what a checkbook is, what a credit card is. It's just going to be sort of part of their upbringing. I think we tend to shield our children from money. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe when they're teenagers or they're, when they're in college, we say, okay, well, here's everything you need to know about money. Uh, good luck. And I think it's important that it, they always understand that that's part of how we operate in society. And no, we're not going to buy that because it costs money and we're not going to spend the money. Or yes, we are going to buy that. And here's how much it costs. And here's how we're going to pay for it. Um, I think that that can be kind of a natural part of a child's upbringing and that it, we don't have to have so much mythology and sort of uh, secrecy around money. And so I look forward to navigating this with our kids and ensuring that they really understand uh, how to manage money and how we've made decisions to manage money and also to really teach them about the ethos of frugality that we so deeply believe in. Because for us, it really does go pretty far beyond the monetary, and it has become much more of a worldview that's sort of tied in with these principles of avoiding consumerism, avoiding excessive consumption, trying to be more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. So it's bringing all those values into alignment with how we use our money. And we just explained, explained Craigslist to our daughter the other day that it was, you know, a place where you could buy things that other people had used. And she said, oh, good idea. So, you know, I think integrating that early on is uh, can't hurt. Very cute. And as one author to the next, you do know that that is a book that's in you, Frugal Woods, The Kids. Uh, yes, that that would be fun to write. I would enjoy that. I'll have to kind of, I need a little bit more experience first. They're still too young, I think, at this point. <laughs> I love to assign other people book assignments. So uh, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. It, it frees me up from having to write my next book, right? <laughs> so thank you so much. I really enjoyed learning more about your philosophy and busting the myth open that frugality equals deprivation. And I encourage everybody who's listening in to definitely go to frugalwoods.com to check out the blog. Um, to buy the book uh, and to learn more about what Liz has to offer because it's really um, something that I think is new and refreshing and uh, it's exciting to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.